Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Be true to yourself and be willing to wait for the right opportunity to come along because it will, I promise you it will. And don't overextend yourself buying something just because you feel the necessary need to go buy something because that's what everyone else is doing on Facebook and Instagram. Welcome to the best ever show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Kevin Bubb. A number of years ago, I had the pleasure of being interviewed on Kevin's podcast, The Cash Flow Investor. He is also a returning guest on the Best Ever Podcast. So if you Google Joe Fairless and Kevin Bupp, episode number 16 out of over 2,500 <laughs> will show up. Kevin is joining us from Clearwater, Florida. He is the owner and president of Sunrise Capital Investors, a boutique real estate private equity firm that specializes in acquiring and managing niche assets like mobile home parks and parking lots. Kevin's portfolio consists of being a GP on over $100 million of assets under management in 13 states. He is also an LP on multifamily, self-storage, medical offices, and a dozen car washes. Kevin, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? 
Ahash, thanks for having me, my friend. And excited to be chatting with you again. It's funny, you dated me. Episode 16, because Joe's been doing this now for how many years now? Yo, you said 2,500 plus episodes. And so I'd probably be embarrassed to go back and listen to that show way back then. But it's hey, many, you were one of the back. pioneers. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, before yeah. we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. And just to keep a long story short, I'm 43 years old at the present time, and I've been investing in real estate for over two decades. So I got involved at 19, bought my first property by myself. I was working underneath someone else's tutelage for about a year and a half, just learning the business. And I ultimately bought my first property at the age of 20, which was just a rundown row home in a small town in Pennsylvania where I grew up. And really my mentor at that time, he was about 25 years older than I, and I only knew what he knew. Literally, he was the only person I had ever met that had a very different lifestyle than my parents growing up. He was an entrepreneur. My parents were nine to fivers. And so I didn't try to reinvent the wheel. I literally saw his success that he was having. He had been there, done that for two plus decades. So I literally just followed exactly his processes. And for the most part, his process was to buy and hold. He had a lot of single family and small multifamily rentals. But I learned very quickly, uh, I started with 7,000 bucks. I was tending bar at night and going to school during the daytime hours. In between that, I was with him hanging out, learning everything I could. But I learned very quickly on that first property. I used my $7,000 that I had saved up and had a private lender put in the rest. And I learned very quickly that I couldn't keep that one for long-term cash flow because it would take me a very, very long time with the couple hundred dollars a month of positive cash flow to ever save up enough to actually buy that second property. So very quickly, I learned to modify his business plan, which led me to basically, I would normally flip two or three properties, wholesale them, and then buy one and keep it wholesale two or three, buy the next one and keep it. And I did that for many, many years. And fast forward about seven years into that, I'd acquired about 150 single family rental properties and then ultimately started venturing into commercial real estate, which is really where we've have focused our time and energy over the past roughly 13, 14 years. And that consists of, as you had mentioned, multifamily, manufactured housing communities, parking lots. And then I've got passive investments in a litany of other commercial asset types, but commercial has been the core focus for again, the last 13, 14 years. Kevin, 150 single family rentals, my head spinning. It was a night, my head spun too. And I realized (laughs) there was a much more efficient way than that. (laughs) Kevin, at what point did you start taking on investors? Literally the first property. So it depends how you define investors, right? Because For the first many of years, it was more debt partners, but the very first property in that partnership, or I guess not the partnership, but that relationship was a direct result of the mentor that I had been working with for a year and a half. And that mentor, I worked for him for free. So I don't want to sound like I was getting paid. Basically, I was his errand boy. I did whatever he asked me to do, get coffee, drop off contracts, pick up some supplies for one of his rental properties, anything so that I could just be around him and listen to how he interacted with people, how he dealt with people what he would say on the telephone and, and the things of that nature. And so in exchange for that, we became really good friends. And as a direct result, I got to really kind of get intertwined in his business network. And he had a few local high net worth individuals that had been acting as the bank for him for many, many years. And one of those individuals basically stepped into my first deal and they did the first couple of deals with me. So really from that very first deal, I was using, I guess you could call it private money, or I was raising capital. And after a certain point in time, really it was when I got into larger scale commercial real estate, did I really understand what syndications were? And again, that was about seven years ago was when we actually did our first official syndication. Prior to that, we had done multiple, maybe JV structures, some that probably might've been deemed a security, which we just didn't know any different, but I've been raising capital the entire time I've been an investor. 
Got it. And Kevin, you're one of the few that I've interviewed that was an investor during the 2008 downturn. How did that affect you? Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> it was a really challenging time. The sky fell faster than what we could react to it. I was down here in South Florida, Tampa area, and then all the way south to roughly Fort Myers was where our properties were spanned in between. And Florida is a very different economy today than what it was back then, much more diverse in nature. Employment was heavily relying upon the construction industry back then prior to the crash. And in addition to that, there was a just a massive oversupply of housing being built here, especially in some of the markets a little bit further south to where I am here in Tampa Bay. And that excess supply, when the music finally stopped, it created massive challenges for us, not only from an occupancy standpoint, because ultimately what we ran into is that a lot of our tenants, we had 20-year-old vintage product. They had options. There was a ton of brand new homes that were built that the builders started renting them out. They started renting them out to basically offset their costs and expenses. because They weren't able to sell them at that point in time. And so we had a massive challenge with occupancy due to oversupply. And in addition to that, we had to lower our rents, offer concessions. So I learned very quickly, and I always cringe when I hear people say that rents never go down. Rents didn't go down during the recession. It really depends on where you were, right? Every market is its own little silo. And I can promise you that rents were impacted, as were occupancies back during that point in time. And so it was a tough time. Uh, Ash, I tried to work with all the lenders that we had at that point. And unfortunately, what I realized is that most banks, they weren't prepared for this either. And they didn't have loss mitigation departments set up. They had not planned on it being as bloody as what it was. So most banks weren't willing to work with us in that first year. It became very challenging. We had lots of notes called due and we did our best to keep our head above water. But inevitably, the majority of the properties went back to the bank and we just worked through it over a period of time. It took really like four or five years to really dig through and sort through the mess. And so on the flip side of that, looking back, I learned a lot of lessons and it made me a much stronger person. I had poor credit coming out of that, had no money, lost my personal residence and just a very personally and financially challenging time. But I think it made me just a stronger person, both individually as well as professionally. And it really forced me to take a much longer outlook on what I really wanted to do, but also rebuilding what I had lost and was there a more efficient way to do it? And so that kind of leads us to larger multifamily and manufactured housing communities. That's really what made that pivotal moment occur is that this took me many, many years as I was a single individual. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids when I had built my first little empire. And now I was with a woman who ultimately became my wife. I'm still married to her today. I knew we wouldn't have kids. And I was like, I need a more efficient way to rebuild this. There's got to be an easier way. And again, that's really where I put my energy and resources into multifamily, which really quickly shifted to manufactured housing about a decade ago. Yeah. My hat's off to you. (laughs) I applaud you for turning a negative into a massive positive. You mentioned the banks weren't prepared for this. They're the ones that caused this. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But we have the luxury of seeing the remnants of the dot-com bubble. We have the luxury of seeing what happened when Lehman collapsed in 2008. So knowing what we know, how are you preparing for Whatever is on the horizon, all we do know is the markets have become very volatile and the Fed is talking about Mm. potentially a three-quarter point increase. So what does that do to your outlook on assets going forward? That's a great question. I used to call myself a cash flow investor back then. And don't get me wrong, the majority of our portfolio produced positive cash flow, but there was a lot of additional inefficiencies that existed with that single family model. And I know that today there's a lot of technology, a lot more 
resources to help more efficiently manage single family properties. Progress Residential and Invitation Homes and those guys, they really perfected the scattered property management model. And it's just done better today and more professional options are available today than what were available back then. So backing up a little bit, again, always perceived myself as a cash flow investor, but really when it came down to it and I was honest with myself, after the implosion happened, looking back, Florida was much more of a speculative market. My investments, although we had low leverage points, taxes and insurance were fairly significant back then. We had just gone through a few major hurricanes, which made the insurance premiums go through the roof. And after you have one turn in a two-bedroom, two-bath, a three-bedroom, two-bath, single-family home, again, if you're honest with yourself, what you find is that they produce very little cash flow, even at a lower leverage point. So moving forward, as I look to rebuild things, I know two things had to occur. Number one, they had to actually produce real cash flow. They had to be self-sustainable with vacancies, with turnovers, and just really had to be honest with myself about the necessary reserves that were needed to, again, produce this positive cash flow on an ongoing basis, no matter what turns and vacancies ultimately occurred. But number two, looking back and just generally speaking, this is after talking to many investors that have been through many other downturns and speaking back to my mentor. One thing that always stuck in my mind was that, Kevin, no matter how bad a recession gets, there's really only one thing that can ultimately make an investment fail. And it's a debt load, not being able to actually service the actual debt load during a downturn if you lose occupancy or you have to lower rents or whatever it might be. So moving forward, we only buy assets that go through multiple stress tests. They have to actually cash flow. We put them through pretty aggressive stress tests. But in addition to that, we keep a very low leverage point. Our entire portfolio today, we're lower than 60% across the board. And I know that that might be leaving money on the table. We've got an asset that we're talking about right now, potentially refinancing, but now rates have gone up quite a bit. The 10-year treasury has jumped significantly over the past couple of weeks. And we're at like a 50% leverage point on it. So we've got a lot of equity that's sitting there doing nothing, which is painful in and of itself. But I know no matter how bad it gets, I will be absolutely fine with that property, no matter what occurs over the next two or three years. And I don't have a debt term coming due for four more years. So I'm in a pretty good situation there. And that allows me to sleep very, very comfortably at night. And so, again, just was able to reevaluate what I felt I could have done better pre-last crash to what our business looks like today. And again, I have no stress in my body at all, other than, again, just watching the 10-year treasury spike like crazy and knowing that that's going to create challenges buying and also refinancing, at least for the initial period of time until we see how things settle out here. Hopefully that answers your question, Nash. It does answer my question, and you're being very cautious due to the previous lessons learned. Yes. And again, we have that luxury. Kevin, what are your thoughts on what's going up on today with a lot of new syndicators raising a lot of money, taking down deals with very low margins where they have to flawlessly execute or the deal doesn't work. Are you seeing a lot of risky deals being taken down out there? It's hard to define what a risky deal is. I think the riskier aspect of any deal, whether it's good or bad in our eyes, is the actual sponsor and their expertise and what their own personal balance sheet looks like or the company's balance sheet. Can they weather a potential storm or is it really just the LP's money that's at risk here? And really there's nothing much at risk for the individual sponsor. And so what does their track record look like? Does it go back prior to 2008? How did they weather that storm? So again, it's really hard to say what's a risky deal, not a risky deal. I would say that I love multifamily, but we know that the margins have been incredibly thin for many, many years now. And there's lots of bridge debt out there. There's lots of floating bridge debt. And I, I think that the riskier component of all this, aside from just the bridge debt, 
are the C-class assets. There's a certain point in time, and the argument from the sponsors, at least over these last two years, especially in the C-class stuff, is that rents will continue to follow inflation. So rents have seen historical increases over the past two years. But there's a certain point in time, Ash, where tenants simply can't afford it. They simply can't afford to pay their rent. So when do we hit that ceiling, first and foremost? And if we hit that ceiling at some point during that bridge period where they're trying to execute in a business plan, then how does that impact their ability to tie perm debt on or to even exit out of that asset before that bridge debt comes due? So that's really where I think the big risk lies. And a lot of it's really going to boil down to the expertise of the individual sponsor and their team of how they can weather any potential hiccups that come their way. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at passiveinvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. I love when you said, look at the balance sheet of the sponsor. I don't think enough people do that. Very important. If somebody is living paycheck to paycheck and they just raise $10 million, should be a red flag. <laughs> and if whatever's on our balance sheet is only attributed to some sponsor fees that they just collected on that deal from the capital they raise, and that's truly their nest egg, everyone has to get started somewhere, right? And so I'm not going to say that's a bad thing. It should be a reason for potential concern. Dig a little deeper, get to better understand who that sponsor is and get comfortable with them and assume the worst. Assume that times are going to be turbulent. This is if you're like talking to some sponsors now, just know that times are going to be turbulent. I don't care what asset class you're in. There's going to be turbulence over the next couple of years. Who knows how long it's already rearing its ugly head in a very significant way right now. And so just be overly cautious and dig deeper than what you might've had to do three, four years ago. Great advice. Kevin, I knew you as the multifamily guy and the mobile home guy. And today <laughs> I read car washes, parking lots, self-storage, medical office. Give me that evolution. How'd you get into all this? Yeah. You know, Asha, we like to take a very strict focus, a very siloed focus on our own business as GPs. So that historically for the last decade, at least has been manufactured housing communities. So we became 
experts in that space. And that's all we did as far as on an active level. I've always said that it's really hard to be everything to everybody, meaning that, okay, we buy manufactured housing, we buy multifamily, we buy self-storage, we buy all this stuff and we operate it internally. And this is our team. And that's challenging to do. Each one of those assets have some carryover skill sets, but a lot of them have their own unique nuances as well. And it's really hard to be the best to everybody or to every asset class. And so again, we've always focused on manufactured housing. Recently, we stepped into the parking sector. Again, a very, very boutique niche asset class, very fragmented in nature, which is what attracted us to it. And also not very operationally intensive based on how we have our business model set up. So it didn't really pull us away from really our core focus still manufactured housing. But along these last 10, 15 years, there's all these other asset classes that I absolutely love. I love the underlying fundamentals of medical office. I love the underlying fundamentals of car washes and self-storage. It's just, we never wanted to venture down that path and dilute our focus. So I've got a lot of personal investments with sponsors that I've known for years that again, have long track records and I don't want to operate their self-storage, but I'll put my money with them and allow them to operate it. Cause I love the asset class. So I think there's a million and one different ways to make money in real estate. And I like to have my portfolio diversified and it's pretty challenging for me to diversify the portfolio as a GP, but I surely can do it by investing with other GPs that are masters of their craft. Out of curiosity, why is it that car washes are popping up everywhere now? They are everywhere. I think there's reason to be concerned there as well. I live in the Tampa Bay area and the US-19 is a major north-south corridor and there's a stretch of two miles and there's two that just opened up and a third one that I saw a sign to scope for. In fact, they're probably within a mile and a half of each other on the same side of the road. I'm like, how does that work? And why did the county even approve that? <laughs> that just doesn't make sense. One's got much better ingress egress than the other two. So my guess would be that that one does much better than the other two. And is there a population of cars that will ultimately allow all of them to thrive? But then the bigger question that I asked, um, I was talking with Dan Hanford the other week. They've got a car wash fund and they've been buying car washes quite a great deal over the past couple of months. And I asked him, I said, the one thing I don't know the answer to, because these car washes weren't around, maybe some, but I think that express model car wash, it might've existed somewhere, but it wasn't like it is today where you see them on every corner, pay 10 bucks at your car washer, pay 40 bucks a month for unlimited subscription. Is that one of those budgetary items that people cut out when they cut back on spending? Do people care that much about having their car washed? when they're worrying about putting food on the table. And I don't know the answer to that. So I think that's where the risk might come into play over the next couple of years with that car wash business. And what kind of returns as an LP do you see in car washes? It's a great question. I've only been invested in them for just about a year. And so I can only speak to what it's looked like at least over this past year. And they're high teens. They're cash flow machines if they're run correctly and the right business models behind it. But there's two of the operations that I'm in that have exceeded 20%, just talk about cash on cash, 18% cash on cash returns over the past year. And the IR, it's kind of hard to say at this point because there hasn't been a capital event, but they cash flow like crazy. But again, anything can cash flow like crazy if it's bought right and it's bought in the right location. If you're paying a premium for it and it's in an inferior location, you're not going to be necessarily able to replicate that same performance all the time. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And Kevin, in my world, retail office, they revere the triple net leases, right? They think it's the easiest to manage. Mm -hmm. But when I think parking lot, man, that takes it to a whole nother level. Can you dive into some of the details of parking lot investments? 
Absolutely. And it's a very interesting asset class and has a lot of similarities to that of what mobile home parks were, call it 10 years ago when we started buying them. 10 years ago, it was predominantly a mom and pop industry with very few institutions or REITs in the space. And banks didn't fully understand the asset class and it just very fragmented in nature. Well, it's very much akin to what parking lots are. Again, you go down to Manhattan or you go to downtown Chicago, you're going to find you know, parking garages that are owned by REITs and large institutions. But in most other prime and secondary markets, what you'll find is that they're owned by maybe other professional investors that are our size, but lots are owned by mom and pop, especially the surface parking lots. You'll find that they're owned generationally by local families that have had it for 30, 40, 50 years. And it's just been a cash flow machine for them for many, many years. So that was one of the interesting aspects, but the most interesting aspect for us, and again, this is kind of comparing it to mobile home parks and what we like and dislike about that asset class was with mobile home parks, there's only a handful of professional management companies throughout the U.S. Very much the opposite to multifamily, right? Multifamily, you can go to pretty much any market and find at least a handful of management companies that you can shop. Mobile home parks, not so much. And we had originally built our own vertically integrated property management company. And as we were scaling, we considered actually passing it off. There's a couple national companies in the space, in the property management side, and a couple of regional. And we tried three out of the five, and it was a horrific, horrible experience. So we brought it back in, built out a much larger internal property management company, but it's a very operationally intensive part of our business. It's not the sexy part of the business. It's there because it's necessary. With parking, what we found is that there's an inordinate amount of parking operators throughout the U.S. So operators mean property management companies that manage the surface lot, that manage the garages, but a very, very small percentage, less than 5% of those parking operators actually own any of the real estate, which was mind-boggling to me, absolutely mind-boggling to me. So what that meant is that we could go in and find an asset that had a value-add opportunity. And I'll give you an example of a value-add opportunity on a small lot that we bought up in North Carolina. It was a 24-space lot in downtown, historic Wilmington, North Carolina, had been bought by a local doctor. He owned some other real estate. He bought it from the bank back in 2010. It was a failed development from eight. It was a carryover as an REO. And he bought it and he had his son managing the property, collecting cash. They didn't accept credit card machines. And it was like in a vibrant part of town. It was right on a signalized corner, a block away from the historic waterfront downtown. And the year that we bought, we bought it about two years ago, and its prior full year NOI was roughly $38,000, and he only paid $400,000 for the property. So he was doing great. That was a great unlevered 10% return. And we looked at it and realized that, number one, me, I don't even carry cash half the time. I only use credit cards. So I wouldn't have been able to park there because he would have never accepted a credit card from me. So he's missing out on all this opportunity. And we found there was a number of operators locally, one having the biggest presence in that local marketplace. And we put out an RFP to all three of these different operators. And we were really looking for a trip on a lease. That's what we wanted. We really want a passive model in the parking lot space. And ultimately where we landed was with the biggest operator in this area. They knew the data. They knew exactly how many turns this parking lot could do on a daily basis. They had a dynamic pricing model in place, which the old owner did. So they would charge higher flat rates and really, really busy parts of the year where there's events happening, a lower rate during the slower parts of the year. And they signed with us. We paid $695 for this lot. Seller won based on what he paid, and we've got a $72,000 trip on at lease in place with 3% annual increases for the first five years. So kind of a win-win for us and huge value add play, but it's a kind of a set it and forget it now. And so there's a lot of opportunities just like that one in the parking sector where they're just being mismanaged. 
they're not being operated efficiently. They don't have technology in place to even accept credit cards. So there's a number of those that I can speak to, but that's the attraction of that space. It's so fragmented. And that was a small deal, but there's many other deals out there that are just like that, that just installing technology, having a dynamic pricing model and getting a better operator in place that can run the day-to-day that's got that infrastructure. They got that local market knowledge. Literally, that is the biggest value add component in that space. And there's many opportunities out there that are sitting there waiting for the picking. I love that out-of-the-box thinking. Good for you. Kevin, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? That's a great question. I think this really sticking to the fundamentals. I feel like that went out the window, Ash. The fundamentals have gotten thrown out of the window over the past three years, especially during COVID. Everyone kind of pulled back a little bit, March, April, May, not wondering what was going to happen. And then we just saw this massive inflation take hold. And man, it's been like a rocket ship for the past year and a half. And one of the ultimate results of that are these massive double digit rent increases over this past year and a half. It's just been absolutely insane, especially in certain markets across the country. And a lot of the prior underwriting fundamentals have kind of been thrown out the door, assuming that these double digit rent increases are going to continue on. And I'd say just, if anything, just pull back. Don't get the anxiety that there's not going to be another deal. Or if you don't buy this one, well, I'm not going to come across another deal because this is a one in a million. Forget that. Just know that there's always another opportunity. And in fact, if anything, slow down a little bit. Don't ignore those fundamentals and know that in times like this, it might take a while for us to see it get flushed out. But this is when the real opportunities are made. Let's talk about all the people that made the most money in multifamily over the past decade. Looking back, a lot of them, they were ready to rock and roll in 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14. And that's when, if you look at their track or if they're still buying today and you look at the ones they've gone full cycle on, look at the returns that they had back on those deals that they bought shortly thereafter that last recessionary period. They absolutely cleaned up shop. So I would say stick with the fundamentals and just be true to yourself and be willing to wait for the right opportunity to come along because it will. I promise you it will. And don't overextend yourself buying something just because you feel the necessary need to go buy something because that's what everyone else is doing on Facebook or Instagram. I love that advice and temper your expectations. Back in 99, when that tech bubble was booming, very reminiscent of today where I was probably in my early 20s, maybe 22 years old. I'm 46 now. So I remember everybody was investing in stocks. And if you didn't, you were an anomaly. It's like, hey, why are you not putting your money in the market? which a lot of people that are newer to real estate think this is the greatest gold rush ever. And again, people who have lived through a couple cycles know that that pendulum goes back and forth and things eventually will equalize. COVID accelerated a lot of different things. It accelerated the move to suburbs, away from city centers, people traveling, working from home. But my opinion, again, I think yours as well, is things tend to equalize over time. Well, look what's happening to the city centers. Couldn't wait to leave Manhattan. In migration to Florida and all these other places from Manhattan, those people were not going back to the city. They're back in the city now. In fact, there's more people that want to be in the city than it can actually fit in the city. (laughs) And rents are at an all-time highs. You're right. Everything tends to equalize over the long term. And so just be aware of that and just really be cautious. As we move through these next couple of months and potentially even a couple of years, as we work to really unravel what we've kind of built up here, not just even during the pandemic. I don't think the Fed never really allowed things to crash as hard as it probably should have during the last recessionary period and ultimately kept pumping money into the market. And then the pandemic just accelerated that. And so 
could be a time for reckoning. Who knows what the Fed's actually going to do when really starts hitting the fan. Time will tell, but we know that things are slowing. It's happening. Again, as we record this, today is the 15th of June, and the Fed will announce today. They originally said it was going to be 50 bips, and then just a couple days ago, they said, well, it's going to be 75. So we'll see how many more times that happens and where we end up in a couple of months. Again, great advice. Kevin, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. Let's do it. Kevin, what's the best ever book you recently read? I read like two or three times a year, and it's a short, easy read. It's The Go-Giver. It's a phenomenal book. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I participate in two different local nonprofit organizations that are local to me that I've been helping for the last decade or so. So I actually put together a 280-mile bike ride each and every year that supports these two local charities. It's called 72 Hours to Key West. Started it 11 years ago, and myself and 74 other cyclists ride from Fort Myers Beach down to Key West each and every fall here in Florida. And it's a phenomenal way for me to give back, but also do it while really enjoying a hobby that I come to love. I love it. Do you have to ride back? No, no. We take a bus back and haul the bikes back in a trailer now. (laughs) Leaving Key West on a bicycle might be a challenge. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Kevin, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Best place to find me, my website, kevinbupp.com. In addition to that, Ash, if you don't mind, I'd love to give away a free copy of my most recently written book, The Cashflow Investor. Then go to kembup.com forward slash free book and grab a copy of that. But yeah, go to kembup.com either way if you want to reach out to me, listen to my podcast, or use the contact us page to get to me directly. Incredibly gracious of you. Kevin, thank you for sharing your time. You're one of the legends in this industry, (laughs) almost a 20 plus year career in real estate. Thank you for sharing your story today. Thank you for telling us what you're getting into in the future and just your overall outlook on the market. It's been a pleasure having you today. Thanks for having me, Ash. This is amazing. And keep doing what you do, my friend. You're helping a ton of people out there. So thank you for having me. Likewise, brother. Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share the podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.